Welcome to In Your Area. This episode features three separate conversations centered around FinTrack and the anti-money laundering requirements of realtors in Alberta. Our first recording is courtesy of Dale Russell. Dale is the broker owner of Remax Real Estate Central Alberta. He is a longtime area member and has been part of two FinTrack audits in recent years. Dale graciously offered to share his experiences, both the good and the bad, and he offers some learnings from the process. We hope you enjoy. My name is uh, Dale Russell. I'm the broker owner of the Remax offices in Central Alberta. Company name is Remax Real Estate Central Alberta, and I have offices in Red Deer, Lacombe, Sylvan Lake, Pinoca, Rocky Mountain House, and Blackfolds. About 65 realtors um, under my purvey, and of course, scattered around, we have um, multiple offices and multiple staff that are policing the receipt of FinTrack documents, and so uh, it, it can get a little bit overwhelming some days but we do the best we can. So in terms of the, um, the audits that I've uh, had to undergo, I'll just refer mostly to the, lo- the most recent one, which was June of 2018. So I got a letter, I believe it was in April of 2018 from Fintrax stating that they were uh, going to do an audit on our operation and that they would like me to forward them um, our files for 50 transactions that had occurred in the previous six months. And so I, I, they, they wanted uh, September of 2017 until or the first, last six months of 2017. And so we, we um, randomly chose 50 files and, and, and sent off all the FinTrack documents and copies of the files, that kind of thing. Um, in June of 2018, then they came to see me um, to give me the results of the audit. So I sat and talked to the FinTrack auditor for quite a while. And so the first thing that happened was is that he started to question me about, about my policy manual and what was in it and what our policies are around accepting deposits, uh, what our policies were around cash deposits, uh, policies are in regard to completion of the uh, identification forms. Um, under what circumstances would we require corporate audits, corporate identification, and uh, what kind of information did we get when it came to that, and where did we get it from? Actually, questioned me at length about policies and procedures, and questioned me about um, you know when I had done. Uh, my training did i have it documented Um, had everybody been documented as being participant in that training they were quite detailed in their questioning of how i'd been behaving in the last year after we got done that conversation uh, he turned around then and said well you know you told me that you don't accept cash deposits but the policy manual that you provided me doesn't say that and you told me that you do this and the policy manual doesn't state that that's your policy. And you told me that you do things this way and that you don't do things that way, but none of that is identifiable in your policy. And so the policy that I had provided him with was the standard policy that came off of Crea's website. The thing that I, you know, and that would had gone back 
three or four years. And the thing that I didn't realize was that there was a new model on Korea's website um, that required us to fill in the blanks to identify specific policies specific to our office. Um, and so basically, um, you know, the things that we do internally in terms of how we handle all these things have to be specifically laid out in our policy manual. Um, and of course, uh, mine weren't. And so I got about a 16-page letter back from FinTrack after the fact relative to um, the things that we should have done that we didn't do, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and a big part of it was the, uh, the policy. And it had everything like right down to if you accept email transfers of deposits, what is the policy around that? How do you identify the party? All this kind of thing. There, it was very detailed and they fully expect to have all of that written down somewhere um, where your staff can uh, access it so they know how to, how to operate. That's the expectation. And so that's the first thing that people need to understand is, is that they do expect you to have a very specific policy specific to your brokerage that, that identifies the way that you're going to do all of the things around reporting, around uh, filling in of forms, uh, around what kind of deposits you accept and how that has to be done. Uh, you have to have very specific uh, policies. Um, they did get into detail around, you know, they found uh, in those 50 records that we had submitted there were um, two occurrences where the nature of the principal business or occupation was completely missing. Um, two occurrences where it was inadequate. Um, the corporate uh, FinTrack, there was parts of that that were missing um, relative to annual returns and things like that. The, um, there was, there's lots of those little things that had to do with, with not um, properly filling in the paperwork. But the, um, the, the ones that they seemed to be the most com concerned about um, were my um, regular compliance program ongoing training. Um, and so we have to develop and maintain a written ongoing going compliance training program for our employees, agents, or mandatories or other people that are acting on our behalf. Um, we did have a compliance policy manual um, which had a section relative to our training program, but it was incomplete because it didn't specify the methods of training. Um, it didn't uh, identify the exact times that we had done training and the type of training and detailed records of the training that we had done. I had discussed with him in my conversations uh, about how the, you know we discussed these things in our sales meetings they're in our bulletins, which I was able to provide him some copies of, but he basically said that my training program was inadequate. And so that is something else that is a real concern for them is that, you know, whether or not we're keeping our, our, our um, people up to date in terms of filling in a forms and, you know, all these things that, that are involved in doing FinTrack properly. The other ones that they were quite concerned about was a review of the policies and procedures and the risk assessment that we're required to do on a regular basis. 
Um, so, and that's the one that probably causes me the most stress of all because it says that I have the obligation to institute and document every two years a review of our policies and procedures, uh, the risk assessment and the training process program by an internal or external auditor. And it says that we have not conducted and documented a two-year two review of our compliance program. So I thought I had done that. Um, so in terms of the risk assessment, what I was trying, I don't know how to assess the risk of my offices involved being involved in uh, uh, money laundering or terrorist finance. And so what I had done was that I'd gone and had a meeting in each one of my offices and I, I went through the form that was provided by CREA and I asked the questions about who they do business with, um, you know, where their clients come from, uh, a number of things like that. I took notes. Uh, but that was not seen to be um, a proper uh, risk assessment. And to be fair, I'm not totally sure that um, I still know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, it says, you know, I have to interview those that are handling transactions uh, to determine their knowledge of the legislative requirements and your policy and procedures. So I guess I have to do a test of my staff and my realtors to find out if they understand what the rules are. And then I have to document you know those things you know there's just it's just so vague um, I mean you know I, I talk to my realtors on a regular basis about this stuff and I explained this to this auditor and I said you know they call me if they have any questions or concerns I I, I, had, I have never filed a suspicious transaction report and I don't know if that's what triggered my audit or not um, I start to wonder now if if I don't need to file a suspicious transaction report once in a while so that they think I'm paying attention. Um, I don't know that they came out and said that, but, um, you know, this, this analysis of my, uh, this risk, risk assessment thing just completely has me befuddled. I don't, I don't know how to do that in a way that's going to make them happy. So at the end of the day, you know, basically they found some mistakes in terms of how we filled out the forms, but their biggest concern was how we're handling this internally. Are we assessing our risk? Are we doing training? Are we documenting that training? Um, are, are we making sure that everybody gets the training and signs off on it? Um, I, I, I have to believe that the people who do this stuff don't really understand uh, how a real estate office works and how difficult it is to force realtors to attend a training program on FinTrack. The worst part of all that is, is that most of them think that it's a complete waste of time. Uh, they're mad at me for making them do it. They're mad at me for holding back their paychecks when they don't uh, provide me with the paperwork properly. We do our very best to check it, um, but we do 1,600 transactions a year. And um, it's difficult to um, go through all that stuff for the fine tooth comb. So. In summary, I think that it's really important that um, that we, we this thing is easy because we're all busy. We've all got a hundred other things to do, and it's really easy to set this aside and say, "I'll I'll work on it tomorrow." Uh, the problem is, is that we just never know when you're going to get that phone call or that letter saying uh, we're coming to to it, to check you out, and by then it's too late. And one of the things that they do tell you is, is that when you provide them 
with those documents, with those 50 files, that you're not allowed to um, add to them, uh, sub subtract from them, or edit them in any way. Uh, so if you pull out 50 files and you find out that you've got deficiencies, and I don't know how they know whether you do that or not. I don't know if they can tell if you do that or not. But um, you do need to get on this. And uh, I highly recommend that you get into the, the, the CREA uh, website and get that policy manual and go through it. Uh, fill in the blanks the best that you can. They seem to be um, less likely to... Um, to punish you if if it's if it's apparent that you've at least made an effort um, that you've tried your best to do um, things properly, um, but stay on top of your education, stay on top of your um, your risk assessment, and at least make an effort to do something, and um, they probably won't be as hard on you. Thank you, Dale, for sharing your story. Next up is Simon Parham. Simon is a lawyer with CREA and speaks with members regularly about anti-money laundering and FinTrack. In this recording, he walks us through the most commonly asked questions he receives about FinTrack, and he offers suggestions on tools and resources brokers can implement to ensure they are keeping within compliance. Well, hi, my name is Simon Parham. I'm a lawyer at the Canadian Real Estate Association. And I'm here to talk about what I'm sure is one of your favorite subjects, FinTrack. Uh, before I dive into some of the details of the law, I kind of just want to give a bit of an overview of what this is all about because I think sometimes we all assume, oh, we all know what this is, the purpose of this law is, well, why are we doing this? Um, and then sometimes that's not the case. So really the purpose of this law is to fight money laundering and terrorist financing. So. Brokers and salespersons, you have obligations under the law to detect and deter money launderers and, ter and terrorists, effectively, and to prevent bad money from getting into the good system, into legitimate means. So that's really why you're doing this. It's not because FinTrack loves auditing brokerages as much as we might like to think that. It's actually, uh, there is a purpose, um, and that's what this is all about. Now, if there's one thing I would say that you should think about when you're trying to figure out how do I comply with this law, I would say it comes down to know your client. That's it. Know your client. So the government wants you to know your client because they want you to be at the point where if you see something that seems a little odd, a little bit suspicious, they want you to be able to report it. It's called a suspicious transaction under the law. So that's what this is really about. So brokers and salespersons, they, you have obligations under the law and they fall into kind of different buckets. I would say there's record keeping obligations. So those are things such as client ID, so taking someone's ID, um, writing it down. It could be a person, it could be a corporation. Uh, you have receipt of funds records, uh, and you have third party records. So if you're familiar with CREA's template forms on uh, web forms or through RealtorLink, which is CREA's intranet site, um, you might think there's a standard form for all this stuff, and you're right. CREA uh, has produced templates that allow you to record someone's ID or collect information on funds and write it down, but you don't have to use those forms. So those are templates only. They're meant to be of assistance. And at the end of the day, 
again, this is know your client, FinTrack doesn't care what you write this stuff down on. You could do it on the back of a napkin. It wouldn't matter. So that's record keeping. There's also reporting obligations under the law. And those include large cash transactions. So if you receive $10,000 or more of cash, there's a report that you have to fill out online and submit it to FinTrack. But probably the key report, the one that's the most important under the law, is the suspicious transaction report. So the trick with this one, well, there's a couple of tricks. One is it's a very low threshold in order to determine something suspicious. I often get asked, how do, how do you know if something's suspicious? Because I don't know, like I'm not an expert, and that's totally fine. So it's a very low threshold. Basically, if a if reasonable grounds to suspect, if there's reasonable grounds to suspect that something is a little off in the transaction, you have a legal obligation to file a suspicious transaction report. So again, that's an electronic form you would submit to FinTrack. And what they do is they take FinTrack, take all these intelligence reports, they call them STRs, they gather them up, they look at uh, other reports they've received from other sectors like banks, insurance companies, real estate, and then they use those to produce intelligence, which they then ship off to the police. So again, this is about fighting money laundering and terrorist financing, and that's how information is, is being uh, provided to the police so that they can go maybe get a warrant. Now, a lot of salespersons probably think that FinTrack is all about forms. So if I ID someone, I write it down. If I get funds, I fill it on a receipt of funds record. If I see something suspicious, I file an STR. But really, that's just the thin edge of the wedge. It's really the brokerage which has most of the obligations under the law. So in addition to basically being required to make sure that salespeople are doing everything they're supposed to be doing, brokerages have a responsibility to have policies and procedures in place, basically to make sure that their brokerage is in a position to be able to do what they're supposed to be doing. So CREA has produced a template manual, and it comes in at a breezy 97 pages, um, which brokers are free to take a look at um, there's some suggested language on how they could use um, maybe a policy that they might want to adopt in a certain situation. And it's kind of like a fill-in-the-blank uh, format. So if, if you're new to FinTrack or you're struggling, I would really say if you're a broker of record or you're a compliance officer, that is your starting point. Take a look at the template policy manual, and it'll give you direction on where you need to go, what you should be thinking of, and what procedures you have to have in place at your brokerage. Uh, brokerages also have a legal obligation to have a compliance officer. So this is the go-to resource at a brokerage, the person who is ultimately responsible. Well, really it's the brokerage responsible, but, but in practicality it would be the compliance officer. And so if salespeople have a question, that's who they should be talking to. There's also an obligation to do a risk assessment every two years. And what this is, is it's a self-assessment by a brokerage to determine, okay, what is my risk? of money laundering and terrorist financing. And there is a template form, but again, you don't need to use it. If brokers do decide to use this, then the key is there's like a checklist at the front and like a large fill-in-the-blank section at the back. And the key is to make sure that the whatever goes into the fill-in-the-blank part, like the, the rationale, the self-review, sorry, the risk assessment, uh, is detailed and comprehensive. I've heard anecdotal stories of brokerages that say, oh, I uh, don't accept cash, therefore I'm low risk, I'm good. 
And I can 100% guarantee that Fintrack will reject that and that will, the brokerage will be cited as deficient under the regime. So the key for brokerages, again, is just take the time, look at the checks at the front, use that to inform your own self-assessment. Again, you're not, you don't need to be experts, but just put some rational thought on the page about where you think your risks might be and how you can mitigate any risks that you think might be present. There's also an obligation, a separate obligation, to do a review. So this is basically an obligation on the brokerage to basically test to make sure that their policies and procedures are actually working the way they're supposed to be working. And some brokerages confuse the risk assessment with the review. They're, they're, they're different things. One, the risk assessment is testing, okay, how um, risky am I from a money laundering perspective? The review is testing, okay, is my stuff actually working? Okay, so they're different. And finally, there's an obligation to have training. And again, a common thing that I hear is that, well, brokerages have training in place, but they don't write down their actual training program in writing. They don't put it in, they just get their people to take a, a course. And so the key, what FinTrack would look for if it audited a brokerage would be, okay, tell me what is your procedure? When you have a new hire, when do you have them trained? Um, how often do they take the training again? That's the kind of thing that FinTrack is gonna look for. And again, if you look at the template office policy that Korea has, um, there's some language about that. So if you're looking for resources, I've mentioned a couple uh, during this uh, podcast. Um, you have RealtorLink, which is Korea's intranet site. And a sad anecdotal story, I once gave a presentation to a group of like 100 uh, salespeople. I said, oh, everyone knows about RealtorLink, right? And not a single one <laughs> knew what I was talking about, which made me sad. Um, but it does exist. Uh, talk to your board if you want more information about that or talk to Korea. So RealtorLink is a great resource for FAQs, template office policy manual I mentioned. Uh, there's a brochure you could give to clients who are maybe wondering why are you asking these types of questions. Um, so really handy. Uh, there's also a blog. So if something, uh, Korea's blog. If something is new or a hot topic, I'll write about it there and just try to give maybe a heads up to brokerages in particular about where I see things going. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, FinTrack came out with some new guidance on suspicious transactions and how to detect them. So I highlighted that and I kind of gave a flag, I kind of gave a heads up. This is where I see FinTrack maybe cracking down a little bit. Uh, finally, every brokerage, as I mentioned, has to have a compliance officer. That really is a salesperson's best friend. That's who they should be consulting first. If they don't have a question, I would encourage them to talk to reach out to their local board. And if the board has a question, often they'll reach out to CREA. And the reason why we like that approach is because CREA likes to talk to boards often because they have a, a more direct uh, link to you. And also, if they start seeing the same question coming up again and again, maybe they can send out a communication. Last thing, FinTrack actually has its own website. Um, if you want more, ultimately, take a look at that. So there is lots of stuff out there, as I was about to say. Um, take a look. If you have questions, don't be shy. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, you can submit them to CREA, our member support. That's where we're there. Uh, we can't give you legal advice, but I find that most questions can be answered um, through information and can often be uh, answered by just pointing you in the right direction. So I hope that, that answers a lot of your questions, and good luck. Thank you, Simon. This final segment today is provided to us by FinTrack. In an effort to provide clarity around real estate compliance requirements, as well as to offer an update on recent changes to the auditing process, 
Murray Duggar, the Regional Director of Western Canada at FinTrack, has offered our members the following. We hope you enjoy. Hello, my name is Murray Duggar, and I'm from the Financial Transaction and Reports Analysis Centre of Canada, or FinTrack as you probably know it. I'm the Regional Director for Western Canada, and my office is responsible for compliance activities throughout the region, including real estate in Alberta. While I live in Vancouver now, I'm proud to say I was born in Alberta, my father was involved in the oil and gas industry, and I spent my formative years in Edmonton and Calgary. I'd also like to thank Area for inviting FinTrack to be part of this podcast. Money laundering is a crime that facilitates and reinforces other criminal activities because it provides a means by which illicit funds can be enjoyed by criminals in a normal way. It affects society in many ways from individual level impacts like coercion, threats, and business risk to societal impacts on safety, security, and on the stability of the Canadian financial system. As an example, in the real estate sector, the injection of illicit funds into the housing market can artificially inflate selling prices, thus making homes unaffordable and increase the risk of investment losses when criminals move their operations to other markets. The exploitation of real estate by criminals for money laundering purposes is well recognized internationally and underscores the importance of quality reporting on relevant suspicious transactions. Many countries are increasing their efforts to implement countermeasures following the Financial Action Task Force, the FATF's, work on this topic, indicating that the real estate sector is highly susceptible for many reasons. For example, easy price manipulation and a variety of complex options for selling, purchasing and financing with anonymity. The Government of Canada's assessment of inherent risks of money laundering and terrorist financing rated real estate agents and developers as being highly vulnerable. Although illicit funds seem to be laundered primarily through residential homes, commercial properties are also vulnerable to misuse for money laundering activities. Public and media awareness around the risk in real estate is very high, especially with the two recent reports out of BC. There has never been a better time to ensure that you are meeting all of your obligations. Your compliance with the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act helped to prevent and deter criminals from using Canada's legitimate economy to launder the proceeds of crime or to finance terrorist activities. It also ensures that FinTrack receives the information that it needs to produce actionable financial intelligence for Canada's police, law enforcement and national security agencies. Last year, with the information that FinTrack received from Canadian businesses like yourself, we were able to provide 2,274 disclosures of actionable financial intelligence in support of money laundering and terrorist financing activity investigations across the country. The number of disclosures that we generate for Canada's police, law enforcement, and national security agencies has increased by more than 80% over the past five years. More importantly, these disclosures are helping to protect Canadians, Canadian communities, and the financial system. FinTrack's disclosures often show links between individuals and businesses that have not been identified in an investigation and help investigators refine the scope of their cases or shift their sites to different targets. They are often used by law enforcement to put together affidavits in order to obtain search warrants or production orders. FinTrack provided 320 financial intelligence disclosure packages to police and law enforcement agencies in Alberta alone last year. On that note, I'd like to share a few quick examples where law enforcement in Alberta has acknowledged FinTrack's assistance in their investigations. The first is from last year, 2018, and the last two are from this spring. There are a number of others, so this is just a sampling. In 2018, Project Arbor was an investigation by Alert Calgary's organized crime and gang team that uncovered a Calgary-based organized crime group's alleged operation of a of a fentanyl and steroids lab, cross-border drug trade, and alleged role in the murder of two people. Among other things seized during this investigation were five guns, 18 kilograms of fentanyl, a pill press, 
as well as cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine. Four individuals were arrested and are facing 46 charges as a result. The second example is from this spring. The Alberta Securities Commission and the Alberta RCMP announced that Neil Andrew McDonald, also known as Neil Andrews of Calgary, was convicted and sentenced to two years in jail and 18 months of probation in addition to being ordered to pay restitution in an amount of $418,000. Mr. McDonald pled guilty to seven charges under the criminal code, including fraud, laundering the proceeds of crime, impersonation, and breaching recognizance conditions. Mr. McDonald fraudulently raised money from investors between October 2012 and April 2015 while banned from doing so and had previously served jail time for Securities Act violations. A third example, also from this year, stems from when a local oil and gas company reported an alleged theft of an oil and gas conversion chemical to the police. After conducting an internal audit, the organization noted a discrepancy in their inventory and reported that they believed that in late 2010, more than 6,000 pounds of chemical had been stolen by one of their employees. Following a thorough investigation, detectives with the Edmonton Police Service Economic Crime Section determined that approximately 580,000 U.S. dollars worth of the chemical had allegedly been stolen and exported to the United States. Detectives believe that the now former employee stole the chemical and with his partner created a shell company to facilitate the sale of it to the U.S. As a result of this investigation, both were charged. So these are just three examples of where Alberta law enforcement has utilized FinTrack disclosures to assist their investigations. For those interested, we link to media releases by police and other enforcement partners on our website homepage uh, where they acknowledge our assistance so you can find many other examples there. Canada's police, law enforcement, and national security agencies are looking for FinTrack's financial intelligence in record numbers. The Centre received 2,754 voluntary information records from these agencies last year, doubling in numbers since 2014. These records contain information on alleged criminals and terrorist financiers and are often the starting point for analysis and the financial intelligence that we generate and disclose. At the same time, we've also significantly increased the number of proactive disclosures that we provide to Canada's police, law enforcement, and national security agencies, bringing their attention to potential money launder and terrorist activity financing that may not have been on their radar. FinTrack has a strong relationship with law enforcement throughout Canada, and they value the actionable intelligence we provide them. But we cannot support law enforcement without you. Knowing your client and reporting when appropriate are essential. Under our legislation, you are considered to be a real estate broker or sales representative when you act as an agent for the purchase or sale of real estate and are registered and licensed to do so by the province. This includes the buying and s or selling of land, houses, commercial buildings, etc. As a broker or sales representative, you must fulfill specific obligations even if you do not receive commission for the real estate transaction and regardless of whether you have related fiduciary duties with respect to the transaction. However, property management activities are not covered. If you are a real estate agent acting on behalf of a broker, most of the obligations shift to the broker, except with respect to reporting suspicious transactions and terrorist property, which is applicable to both you and your broker. Property developers are also usually covered, but please refer to our website for further guidance. As reporting entities, you have a very important role to play, and without your partnership, we cannot succeed in the global fight on anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing. By ensuring compliance with the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act, real estate professionals are positioning themselves to protect their businesses from money laundering risks. 
First and foremost, a solidly implemented and maintained compliance program is crucial and a foundational piece. What this means is that you need to appoint a compliance officer, develop policies and procedures, do an assessment of money laundering and terrorist financing risks, maintain a training program, and conduct a review of your program's effectiveness every two years. This ensures that you have the structure in place to comply with the Act and its associated regulations and also establish a framework that helps facilitate the detection, prevention, and deterrence of money laundering and terrorist financing. This will help ensure you identify your clients, complete client information and receipt of, records fu receipt of funds records, as well as reporting any suspicious transactions, large cash transactions, and terrorist property reports. With our guiding principles at the forefront, being transparent, being engaged, and always striving to provide clarity, we continue to provide assistance to your industry, ensuring you understand and meet your obligations. We also have a wealth of information on our public website, such as comprehensive guidance, an assessment manual that prepares you for a FinTrack exam, and operational alerts and briefs that guide you in identifying and reporting sus suspicious transactions. We produced an operational brief specifically for the real estate sector in 2016. Like this podcast, we conduct outreach and engagement with various stakeholders, including industry associations and regulators, to explain obligations, provide updates, or discuss legislative and regulatory changes. We also provide assistance and technical support for online report submission through our helpline and offer policy interpretation for specific questions. Under our mandate, we use many different tools to test your compliance with the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act, and its associated regs. One of the main assessment tools is to conduct examinations on reporting entities. We do this either on-site or from our FinTrack office. The examination process is broken down into three phases, planning, conducting, and consolidating the findings. Let me walk you through these phases and provide you with what you could expect if you've been selected for an exam. During the planning stage, we'll contact you in advance and let you know you've been selected for an exam. During that call, we'll walk you through the examination process and inform you of the areas we plan to focus on during the exam. At this point, we'll also address any questions you may have. Following the call, we'll send you a letter formalizing it, the call and request detailed information and instructions for sending that information to, to us, as well as date and time of the examination. The next phase in conducting is the actual examination. At this point, we hold an introductory meeting and ask you questions related to your business and your compliance program. We then review and assess your records, transactions, and your processes to ensure they align with the requirements set out in the Act and regs. We may also conduct interviews with your employees to ensure they understand the policies and procedures and to ensure staff are trained. At the end of the examination, we discuss the preliminary findings during an exit interview. After the examination, what happens next? Well, that's the final phase of the process, what we call consolidating the findings. At this point, we take an assessment approach when evaluating your exam findings. This means we take a holistic approach when we look at your findings rather than evaluating them in isolation. Once we've made our assessment, we communicate the results through a findings letter. As a side note, these phases are explained well in our new assessment manual available on our website. The findings letter could have three possible results. No further activity required, which means we will not be requiring anything further, although if deficiencies were identified here, you are still expected to correct them or a follow-up activity of some sort. This could be a follow-up examination or an enforcement activity, which could be administrative monetary penalty or an AMP. When you receive a findings letter, we expect you to address the causes of the identified deficiencies within a reasonable amount of time. If, based on the examination findings, FinTrack is considering an AMP, we will state this in the letter. 
We issue AMPs to encourage future compliance and to promote a change in behavior. We do not issue AMPs automatically in response to non-compliance as typically other compliance actions, for example, follow-up exams or action plans, etc., are taken before considering a penalty. We also use AMPs when there are significant issues of non-compliance or high impact on FinTrack's intelligence mandate or on the objectives of the Act and its regulations. It is noteworthy that the Proceeds of Crime Money Laundering Terrorist Financing Act was just amended on June 21, 2019 requiring mandatory publication of all AMPs imposed by FinTrack. What this means is that we must make public, as soon as feasible, the name of the reporting entity, the nature of the violation or default, and the amount of the penalty imposed. These legislative changes support our efforts for increased transparency surrounding our compliance activities. In some circumstances, FinTrack may disclose cases of noncompliance to law enforcement when there is extensive noncompliance or little expectation of immediate or future compliance. If law enforcement pursues this avenue, this could result in criminal penalties under the Proceeds of Crime Money Laundering Terrorist Financing Act. Now that you all have a base understanding of the examination process, we want to highlight what we are seeing in your sector. Last year, we examined 19 real estate businesses in Alberta. Of those examinations, the majority of the noncompliance was in relation to compliance program elements. In particular, incomplete or inadequate policies and procedures, risk assessments, training, and two-year reviews. We also identified weaknesses in ascertaining identification, record keeping, and third-party determination obligations. So if you are in the process of reviewing your compliance program, those are the areas to start. Make sure that your program addresses your business activities and that the staff understand what their role is in reporting. In fact, reviewing your processes and trades for suspicious transactions is one of the areas we focus on during an exam. But before I begin talking about suspicious transaction reports or STRs broadly, there are a few pervasive misunderstandings or myths I'd like to dispel before we go forward. Here are the top five. Myth number one, I only need to think about money laundering if a client gives me cash. The reality is that the illicit proceeds of crime often start off as cash because it offers anonymity. The placement stage of money laundering is when the initial proceeds enter the financial system, but that is not where the laundering ends. The next stage is layering when the funds are moved within the financial system to hide the trail from its illegal origins. This is likely where you will have exposures to money laundering. Even if you are being provided with a draft or other negotiable instruments, you can still be used to launder criminal funds. The bank is not vetting the money for you. In fact, the bank may have reported its deposit as suspicious and would not be telling you if it did. The real estate transaction that follows may be an important piece that you can provide to show where the money went next. We receive STRs about non-cash transactions all the time. You need to remember that money laundering is not limited to cash. Myth number two, the government is deputizing realtors and expects them to find money launders. The reality is that under the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act, real estate professionals have certain obligations. Reporting suspicious transactions is a key obligation, but you do not need to be an expert in money laundering or interrogate your client. We recognize your expertise as real estate professionals. I'm sure that after a five-minute conversation with a prospective buyer, you know exactly what they want or need, even if they don't themselves. It's going to be circumstances where your client is telling you one thing but insisting on another that should raise your suspicion. Even then, as someone looking out for the best interests of your client, you will likely explain the risks of their choice or the benefits of changing their minds. This is not interrogation. You're simply doing what you do every day. It's when decisions don't make sense or if the way payments are deposited are unusual, you need to think about an STR. Myth number three, 
If I think something might be suspicious, I cannot complete the deal. The rea reality is that the Proceeds of Crime Money Laundering Terrorist Financing Act do not require you to terminate the deal because you have a reasonable suspicion it may be related to money laundering. Unless you are willfully blind, you can complete the deal, but you must also complete an SDR. Myth number four, realtors send all this stuff to FinTrack and nothing ever happens. The reality is that whether you use your CREA form or your own client information records or receipt of funds, those are record keeping obligations. They are not reports, although the information in them may form the basis of your reports. Because they are records, FinTrack does not receive them, nor would we want to if they are just normal transactional details. We want suspicious transaction reports, and the reality is that we do not get many from real estate. Myth number five, if I send a suspicious transaction report to FinTrack, the client will know. When an STR comes to FinTrack, it is reviewed, but not necessarily actioned on its own. It will be reviewed in the context of all the other reports we have. If there are not any other reports on these individuals or other information from law enforcement, your report will likely remain in our pool until there are other reports or 10 years passes. If you provide an STR and it doesn't align with information that we have, we may disclose it to law enforcement. Law enforcement will then determine the best course of, to proceed if they choose to investigate. They may eventually talk to you, but they are not going to tell your client that you reported on them. With those five myths in mind, let's dive deeper into why STRs are so important. You submit an STR to FinTrack when you have determined that you have reasonable grounds to suspect that a financial transaction is related to the commission or attempted commission of a money laundering or terrorist financing offense. FinTrack expects that your STRs will be detailed and of high quality as they provide invaluable financial intelligence for our analysis. It's the only report that allows you to expand on the transactional details by providing an assessment of what you're observing. This type of narrative information, such as individuals or entities' names not already captured in the transactional beneficial ownership, additional accounts, transaction details like purchases or e-transfers, locations and relationships, that are all essential contact pieces that can create linkages that financial intelligence disclosure recipients, i.e. law enforcement and intelligence agencies, may not have known about otherwise. The steps you take to reach reasonable grounds to suspect suspicion of money laundering or terrorist financing must be outlined in your policies and procedures. Reaching reasonable grounds to suspect will likely happen through your assessment of facts, context, and money laundering or terrorist financing indicators surrounding a transaction or multiple transactions. Facts are actual events, actions, occurrences, or elements that exist or are known to have happened or existed. It cannot be an opinion. The context is about clarifying a set of circumstances or providing an explanation of a situation surrounding a financial transaction that can be understood and assessed. Indicators are potential red flags that could initiate suspicion or indicate that something may be unusual without a reasonable explanation. Red flags typically stem from one or more factual characteristics characteristics, behaviors, patterns, or other contextual factors that identify irregularities relating to financial transactions. These often present inconsistencies with what you expected or considered normal based on what you know about your client. Section G within an STR contains your narrative. It should explain your grounds for suspicion and include the results of your assessment of facts, context, and money laundering or terrorist financing indicators that led you to decide to submit an STR to FinTrack. In providing the narrative, you should not assume that the reader will be familiar with acronyms or terminology specific to your business. The section should clearly explain why you think the transaction is suspicious of money laundering or terrorist financing. 
Due to the importance of Fintrack's financial intelligence to the overall safety and security of Canadians and Canada's financial system, Fintrack reviews and assesses every STR within days of its receipt. When warranted, such as in the case of an STR related to the threats to the security of Canada, Fintrack has expedited the analysis and assessment process in order to disclose financial intelligence to law enforcement and other intelligence partners within 24 hours of receiving the STR. As such, STRs are critical to Fintrack's analytical function and its ability to detect, prevent, and deter money laundering or terrorist financing. A failure to report an STR or not report an STR fast enough may have a direct impact on Fintrack's capability to carry out its mandate including assisting in the protection of Canada's national security. Therefore, it's our expectation that when you've determined that you have reasonable grounds to suspect that a transaction is related to the commission or attempted commission of a money laundering or terrorist financing offense, that you treat it as a high priority. This means that you should submit an STR to us as soon as you've reached your grounds for suspicion. Looking back on the three examples I provided where Fintrack's disclosures assisted Alberta law enforcement, you can be certain that suspicious transaction reports played an important part. The 2019 federal budget provided Fintrack with additional resources to increase its outreach and examinations in real estate and casino sectors, expand its contributions to the public-private sector partnerships to improve the overall efficiency and effectiveness of Canada's anti-money laundering and anti-terrorist financing regime, as well as improve oversight of modern financial practices related to virtual currencies, foreign money services businesses, prepaid products, and customer identification. Fintrack will also play a role in the new Anti-Money Laundering Action Coordination and Enforcement, or ACE team, proposed in the 2019 federal budget, which will bring together dedicated experts from across intelligence and law enforcement agencies to strengthen interagency cooperation and coordination and to identify and address significant money laundering and financial crime threats. The key to our success has been our focus on collaboration and strategic information sharing with our regulatory partners, thousands of Canadian businesses, Canadian police, law enforcement and national security agencies, as well as our international allies. In particular, the effective collaboration that we have seen between FinTrack, police and businesses in our project-based private-public partnerships on money laundering related to human trafficking, Project Protect, Romance Fraud, Project Chameleon, and the Traffic of Fentanyl, Project Guardian, is proof of how well the regime can and does work for Canadians. Once again, I'd like to thank the Alberta Real Estate Association for inviting Fintrack to be part of this podcast. We look forward to assisting and engaging with the real estate sector in Alberta in the fight against money laundering and terrorist financing within the province and throughout Canada. Thank you again. We hope you have found this episode informative and that it has clarified some of the uncertainty around FinTrack requirements in the real estate industry. Don't forget to check out the additional resources housed on our website under the Member and Resources tab at albertarealtor.ca. We love to hear from you about our In Your Area podcast. Please reach out with your feedback and episode ideas at communications at albertarealtor.ca. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you the next time we are in your area. Hey.